Welcome to Walk in Truth. These are the Bible teachings of Pastor Michael Lance, equipping you to reach out with God's truth to all people and how to apply that truth to today's issues, trends, and culture. You can learn more about the program and our church when you download our free Living Truth app. Now here's Pastor Michael's teaching in Isaiah chapter 13 called The Day of the Lord is Near. We're going to be teaching Isaiah 13 tonight. We're doing a verse-by-verse study through Isaiah. That's really what we do here at Living Truth. We go through the Bible, verse-by-verse, chapter-by-chapter, let it speak for itself. And now we are getting into, um, we're transitioning in the book of Isaiah to really the next several chapters, actually 13 through 23, we'll look at the judgment of the nations. We've been focusing a lot on Israel and what's gone wrong in that nation, but now God will begin to move out and there will be an oracle or a word, a heavy word spoken to Babylon. So this is Isaiah chapter 13. Before we go there, I do want to tell you about kind of the dual nature of prophecy. As we've looked at the book of Isaiah, you'll notice that in sections of the book, you'll have an immediate situation being addressed. You'll have the people of that time being talked to, and then to give us a glimmer of hope, either of the millennial kingdom or some other uh, fulfillment of prophecy, you'll find that interspersed in there is a glimpse of, for example, the millennial kingdom. We saw that in Isaiah chapter 2. We saw that in Isaiah chapter 11. You'll notice in Isaiah 7 that there's a prophecy given both near far. So when you look at prophecy, and this is part of the majestic nature of Scripture, there'll be a near fulfillment to that prophecy In this case, it was the son of Isaiah that would fulfill a prophecy to the nation. But that further prophecy would actually be Emmanuel, God with us, that's Isaiah 7.14, being born of a virgin, and that would be Jesus being born to Mary. So near far, near far. Well, what you have in this particular section is also a near far prophecy, but it pertains to a judgment. It actually has to do with the day of the Lord. And it's a prophecy specifically given against Babylon. Babylon, um, geographically, there's a little debate on which Babylon's being talked about, either one of the jewels of the Assyrian Empire, which well could be, or the Babylon that was under Nebuchadnezzar. It really doesn't matter in the end. But Babylon does take on a future characteristic because if you study the book of Revelation, you know that Babylon really is a symbol for the fallen world or it is a symbol specifically for the world that it's anti-God. It goes all the way back to the book of Genesis chapter 10, when there was a man named Nimrod. He was the mover and shaker behind the Tower of Babel, which when then we get Babylonianism, and we get the tower, the ziggurat that they tried to get to reach to heaven. By the way, this is where they believe the zodiac started. And uh, man's attempt to reach to God and man saying, you know what, we can accomplish anything that we want to and God confused the languages, but that is a picture of man without God. Babylon, mentioned in Revelation 17 and 18, is going to be destroyed by God. People will wail when they watch it burning, but it represents mankind trying to do life without God. Have you tried to do life without God? Have you had decades or maybe you came to know the Lord and then you've walked away from God or you tried to go back to an old life? Let me ask you, how is it? How is it? Once you've tasted and seen that the Lord is good, you can't go back. Peter said, where else are we going to go, Lord? You alone have the words of everlasting life. What am I going to do now? Go sow to my flesh again? Now, we all struggle with that. 
Obviously, we struggle with the world with temptation, but Babylon is going to end being judged, and that is everything anti-God. So look with me now, Isaiah 13, verse 1. The oracle, if you have a New King James, it says burden. The Hebrew word means heavy. It could mean to lift up your voice with a heavy message and even to carry a burden. And oftentimes you have to put yourself in the sandals of a prophet and really look at the message that they had to bring at times and remember that they were human. They were just like you. And God was telling them to do some radical stuff and pronounce some radical judgments. Imagine if it were you and God told you to walk into a place or walk into an office, or walk into a home, or stand before a group of people in whatever context and pronounce a word of woe, a judgment, a radical judgment. You would be immediately thinking in your humanity, man, I'm not going to be very popular. These people aren't going to really like me. But that was really Isaiah's career. Remember in Isaiah 6, where he was told, you're going to keep on preaching to these people, but they're not going to listen. And that's what your message is going to be. I'm going to keep on talking, but you're not going to listen. Imagine having that kind of ministry. Well, that was Isaiah. Isaiah was given that ministry right after he saw the vision of the Lord and the angels saying of the Lord, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Now, you're going to have a judgment section in this book. And some of you, and this should be true for all of us, we're going to kind of recoil at what's here because it's heavy, heavy stuff. But did you know that the prophet most quoted by Jesus in the New Testament is Isaiah. We are readily accepting of Isaiah 7.14 about the virgin giving birth. We're readily accepting the beauty of the golden age, the thousand-year reign of Christ, where there will be peace and the, the carnivorous animals will be tamed. But are we ready to accept day of the Lord passages as well from the hand of God? Are we willing to realize that God is not only loving, but he is what? What do the angels sing all day long, day and night? Holy, holy, holy. They don't sing loving, loving, loving is the Lord. Now we know that the Lord proclaims his loving kindness, but you can't single out one facet of God's nature and say, oh, well, it's all gonna be okay because God's a loving God after all. Well, God is a holy God as well. And the reason that God judges is because he is holy. He gives people a window, but he will judge in holiness and righteousness. That's one of the key aspects of his nature. And so a heavy oracle, verse one, concerning specifically here Babylon, which does, it will, you will see how it moves out into the end times Babylon or the world without God, which Isaiah the son of Amos saw. He saw these prophecies and these prophecies were given to him in you know, really incredible ways long before these things would take place. Verse two, lift up a standard or raise a banner on the bare hill. Raise your voice to them. Wave the hand or beckon that they may enter the doors of the nobles. I have commanded my consecrated or holy ones. And I want you to write in your margin there, 1317, because this could be a reference to the Medes who will be the tool of God's judgment on Babylon. I have even called my mighty warriors my proudly exalting ones to execute my anger. Now, theologians agree that the one, the tool in God's hand here is unrighteous people. It is an army, and specifically, if you look at 1317, notice it says, behold, I, God, am going to stir up the Medes against them. Remember, Babylon is at the subject at hand here. Who will not value silver 
or take pleasure in gold. Their bows will mow down the young men. This is brutal. They will not even have compassion on the fruit of the womb. That seems to indicate pregnant women. They will also execute. Nor will they, uh, their eye pity children. The one stirring up the Medes, the army of the Medes, is God. God is sovereign over history. As a matter of fact, it says in the scriptures that Nebuchadnezzar was God's holy instrument. And we know that God has used wicked nations to even judge his own people. It even says of the Assyrian king earlier in the book of Isaiah that he was God's axe. Can the axe say to the one who wields it, I'm the one, you know? No, he can't. God even controlled the Assyrian king and he allowed the king to do what he wanted to do, but then God used it for his sovereign purposes. Uh, Pontius Pilate and Herod in the book of Acts did exactly according to God's predetermined plan and foreknowledge when it came to Jesus Christ. God knew all along that Jesus would die. But was Pontius Pilate accountable to God? Yeah. He who handed me over to you, Jesus said to Pilate, has the what? Greater sin. That means Pilate still sinned in doing what he did. But the Jews had the greater sin. So Herod, Pontius Pilate, All these men who, you know, Judas and others who were acting in accordance with their own will, Joseph's brothers, selling him into slavery. God used the free will of man, this is how majestic God is, to exploit for his good purposes. God does not cause evil, but he exploits evil for his good purposes. That's the promise of Romans 8.28, that God will work majestically all things together for good to those who love him and are called according to his purpose. That's That's how incredibly powerful and omniscient God is. And so this is the, uh, the case here. My consecrated ones, remember the, the word consecrated means to set apart. Some versions say holy. They're not holy in character, but they have been set apart for the tool of God. Look at verse three again. I've even called my mighty war- warriors, my proudly exalting ones to execute my anger. Sometimes even a pompous personality can be the tool of God. Someone who doesn't even know God or acknowledge God can become the hand of God in one sense to fulfill God's perfect will, to bring history, which is really his story, to the fulfillment in which God desires. So that should make you rest because all of us worry about where history is going. What's going to happen? We, we're we're going to look at a text tonight that you know, might make you go, the end times, man, that just shakes me up. What's going to happen? How's it all going to work out? Well, history is his story. And we know how the book ends, don't we? We're on the winning team. And so the good news is that God is sovereign. And he majestically works in history. A sound of tumult on the mountains for, like that of many people. This is this army surrounding now, uh, gathering. A sound of the uproar of kingdoms, of nations gathered together. The Lord of hosts, notice his sovereignty, is mustering the army for the battle. They are coming from a far country, from the farthest horizons. The Lord and his instruments of indignation or wrath to destroy the whole land. This is, again, God's sovereignty. And I want you to see they become instruments of what? God's indignation. You mean God has wrath? Yes, As a matter of fact, every unbeliever is a child of wrath by nature. 
Ephesians 2.2, before we came to know Jesus Christ, we were children of wrath, just like all the others. You'll hear more from Pastor Michael in a moment. Thanks for tuning in to Walk in Truth today. Did you know there's more where that came from? Download the Living Truth app to listen to more of Pastor Michael's teachings whenever you want. You can even watch videos. And if you're local to Southern California, you can get updates on church events, new studies, and more. Download the free Living Truth app today. Michael Lance says that at the end of each week, get to church. Fellowship is important. If you live in Southern California, make sure you visit the church Pastor Michael has the honor of serving as senior pastor. Living Truth Christian Fellowship is in the city of Corona on 1009 Arsenal Way. You can learn more about the church on walkintruth.com. If you listen to Walk in Truth and you're nowhere near Southern California, Pastor Michael would ask that you make an effort to get into fellowship. Being alone is needed sometimes, but it's not the way the Lord would have you live. Pastor Michael and the whole Walk in Truth team pray you get to church this week and learn more about Pastor Michael Lance, the mission of Walk in Truth, and our church at walkintruth.com. We'd love to see who's listening, so please connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Just do a search for Walkin' Truth Show. Now, back to Pastor Michael Lance, right here on Walkin' Truth. I've even called my mighty warriors, my proudly exalting ones, to execute my anger. Sometimes even a pompous personality can be the tool of God. Someone who doesn't even know God or acknowledge God can become the hand of God in one sense to fulfill God's perfect will, to bring history, which is really his story, to the fulfillment in which God desires. So that should make you rest because all of us worry about where history is going. What's going to happen? We, we're we're going to look at a text tonight that you know, might make you go, the end times, man, that just shakes me up. What's going to happen? How's it all going to work out? Well, history is his story. And we know how the book ends, don't we? We're on the winning team. And so the good news is that God is sovereign. And he majestically works in history. A sound of tumult on the mountains for, like that of many people. This is this army surrounding now, uh, gathering. A sound of the uproar of kingdoms, of nations gathered together. The Lord of hosts, notice his sovereignty, is mustering the army for the battle. They are coming from a far country, from the farthest horizons. The Lord and his instruments of indignation or wrath to destroy the whole land. This is, again, God's sovereignty. And I want you to see they become instruments of what? God's indignation. You mean God has wrath? Yes, As a matter of fact, every unbeliever is a child of wrath by nature. Ephesians 2.2, before we came to know Jesus Christ, we were children of wrath just like all the others. Hold your finger in Isaiah and go to John for a second. John 3. Now sometimes we worry about this and we want to obviously present the gospel in a loving manner. We are all lost and found. But sometimes we, we are hesitant to preach the law or the reality of hell to people because we think, well, they're going to think we're coming across too harshly. But here's what the Bible says. John 3.34. For he whom God has sent speaks the words of God, for he gives the Spirit without measure. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. He who believes in the Son has eternal life. John 3.36. 
But he who does not obey the Son shall not see life, but what? The wrath of God abides on him. If you tell somebody, you know what? If you don't know Jesus Christ, you're in trouble. You might be thinking, well, that's condemning. Well, look, they're condemned already. Go back earlier in the chapter. Look at John 3. Look at verse 19. This is the judgment. That light has come into the world, but men love darkness rather than light, for their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light, does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who practices the truth comes to the light, that his deeds may be manifested as having been wrought in God. Go back to 18. He who believes in him is not judged. He who does not believe has been what? Judged already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. They're already under judgment. You understand? They're already under wrath. I know there's a debate. Go back to Isaiah of, you know, how should we approach people? Should it be the law? Should it be love? Let me give you a principle, and this has been spoken by Ray Comfort, and I think it's a good one. You give law to the proud and love or grace to the humble. If you run into a person who says to you, I don't think God could ever forgive me for the multitude of sins that I have committed, you don't have to say, yeah, you're a terrible person. You've probably broken all the commandments over and over and over again. Ha, ha, ha. No, you don't want to do that. Now you preach grace, right? But what if you get somebody who says, I don't need God. God's only for those down and outers who have all these problems. That's certainly not me. I have a white picket fence. I've never cheated on my wife. I don't use drugs. I have 2.5 children and a dog named Spot. Why should I need Jesus Christ? Then you need to preach the law. Law to the proud, grace to the humble. See, people need to understand God's holiness and what sin is so that they can flee from the wrath to come. By the way, John the Baptist said that to those who were approaching him for baptism. Who warned you to what? Flee from the wrath to come. That was John's message. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. I know it's not popular, but if we leave out these portions of the Bible, we are not being true to Scripture. And we're not being true to God's nature, which is incredibly loving, but also he is incredibly holy. And the Bible says he's a consuming fire. And so it says in Isaiah 13, 6, Wail, for the day of the Lord is near. It doesn't necessarily mean eminent, but it does mean God's will will be done and it can burst out at his beck and call. Isaiah 13, 6, wail for the day of the Lord is near. It will come as destruction from the Almighty. That's El Shaddai there. And whenever you see a name for God, it always fits with the context. God is the almighty ruler of the universe and he has every right to judge because he is the one who made the universe Wail, for the day of the Lord is near. It will come as destruction from El Shaddai. Therefore, all hands will fall limp, and every man's heart will melt. Radical. This is the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord is the most repeated end times phrase that you're going to find in your Bible. It's mentioned by at least eight Old Testament authors and several New Testament authors. Uh, authors. The day of the Lord is the day, and I believe it's the seventh seal that Jesus, when he's breaking the seals in the book of Revelation, the time that God pours out his holy wrath on an unbelieving world. 
And it is a time, incredibly, here where it will be destruction, where verse 7 says, all hands will fall limp and every man's heart will melt. This will be a day of destruction and a day when many are trying to escape the fierce wrath of God. Go back to Isaiah 2. Isaiah 2. Look at verse 10. Isaiah 2.10 says these words. Enter the rock and hide in the dust. Isaiah 2.10, from the terror of the Lord and from the splendor of his majesty. The proud look of man will be abased. The loftiness of man will be humbled and the Lord alone will be exalted, notice, in that day. For the Lord of hosts, Isaiah 2.12, will have a day of reckoning against everyone who is, notice how many times pride is repeated, proud and lofty, and against everyone who is lifted up that he may be abased. And it will be against the cedars of Lebanon. These were the most well-known, beautiful trees that are lofty and lifted up against all the oaks of Bashan. You think of an oak tree as one of the strongest things. It'll never go down, you know. Against all the lofty mountains, high places, against the hills that are lifted up, against every tower, high tower, against every fortified wall. Think of the Great Wall of China or other walls that seem impenetrable. Against all the ships of Tarshish, these incredibly uh, large sailing ships, against, and against all the beautiful craft or art. Think of all that is elevated in our society, pictures of things and media today and so forth. And the pride of man will be humbled. This is the day of the Lord. The loftiness of man will be abased. And the Lord alone will be exalted in that day. But the idols will completely vanish. And men will go into caves of the rocks and into holes of the ground before the terror of the Lord and before the splendor of his majesty. When he arises to make the earth tremble. In that day, men will cast away the moles and the bats, uh, the, their idols of silver and their idols of gold, been, they'll be in the caves and their idols will be meaningless, which they made for themselves to worship, in order to go into the caverns of the rocks and the clefts of the cliffs before the terror of the Lord and the splendor of his majesty when he arises to make the earth tremble. Stop regarding man, here's a good response, whose breath of life is in his nostrils, for why should he be esteemed? You've been listening to The Day of the Lord is Near, Part 1 on Walk in Truth. That's Pastor Michael's teaching in Isaiah chapter 13. And don't forget, if you missed any part of today's program, you can listen to Walk in Truth on the Living Truth app or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks so much for listening to Walk in Truth on this station. Please continue listening here because, well, this station is honoring the Lord by serving many more ministries in addition to ours. And you'll get to hear the latest broadcast from Pastor Michael. Walk in Truth is also available on your podcast app on Apple Podcast, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and many others. You can listen to all of Pastor Michael's previous teachings. We have Pastor Michael's teachings in the book of Colossians, Job, Ephesians, Psalms, Revelation, and many more. Listen to Walk in Truth whenever you want on your favorite podcast app. Now, here's Pastor Michael. Well, the day of the Lord is a very important topic, a very important uh, subject in the scriptures. And though some, uh, it's certainly debated in some circles all that it means, but the day of the Lord is the subject matter of Isaiah 13, and it runs through the entire Old Testament and New Testament 
uh, actually dealt with by multiple authors in both Old and New Testaments. And uh, as we're laying out here, I believe it points ultimately to the things that will surround the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's an exciting topic. And speaking of exciting topics, we have a 633 apologetics event happening at Living Truth Christian Fellowship, where I serve as senior pastor. It's in the city of Corona in Southern California. And we have a special guest, Scott Klusendorf, who is coming to deal with the issue of the sanctity of life and give us good, strong arguments for life, the pro-life position, um, the uh, arguments against euthanasia and the like, and just the important topic of human life that we're made in the image of God. And he will do this from Scripture, but also just outside the Bible, just using logical and even scientific arguments. You can find out more about Scott Klusendorf at ProLifeTraining.com and the Life Training Institute. That's ProLifeTraining.com. Scott will be pre- uh, preaching both morning services, 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. at Living Truth in Corona. That's on Sanctity of Life Sunday. That would be January 23rd. And uh, the evening session will be a Q&A and a training time. And it happens at 6.33 in the evening. Now, you can get driving directions and all you need to know at walkintruth.com. Just click on the church tab. This will also stream on our YouTube channel, but it's always best to be here live if at all possible. Walkintruth.com. Click on the church tab for information and directions. And we'll see you right here. God bless you. Join us on Monday for part two of Pastor Michael's teaching in Isaiah chapter 13 called The Day of the Lord is Near. I'm Mike Massaro. Thanks for listening to Walk in Truth. Our goal is to equip you to reach out with God's truth to all people.